So this will be our final message in the book of Mark. We've been in here in the book of Mark for quite some time now, and this will be the final message. Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right-hand side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, when you don't know what you're doing, it's helpful to have somebody around that does, who has been there before. Um, A couple of weeks ago, uh, Curtis and I went to the store and got some scaffolding to raise the lights up. And uh, we got the scaffolding on a Thursday night and uh, just kind of came and dropped it here. And uh, I planned on kind of starting to put it together on Friday morning. And I walked out Friday morning and kind of looked at it, and there were no instructions at all. And I thought, I think I'm just going to wait for Pastor Phil to get here. Because Pastor Phil has, you know, had a, has a scaffold, a smaller scaffold, and he knew what he was doing. So I waited for him to get here, and started out okay. We started putting the pieces together. The first, there's two levels, and the first level came together pretty well, and we put two braces and a platform on the brace. And then we go and start doing the second platform, and we put up the braces, and we realize that the one brace is gray, and the other braces are yellow. So we think, well, they must know what they're doing. This must be part of the same set, or it must do the same thing. So we put it up there. After we put it up there, we go to put the platform on, and we realize that there's these little nubs that are sticking up. So the platform would be uneven if we put it there. So then we're thinking, so what do we do? We can't take this back. You know, it was you know, really big equipment. And so we said, okay, we'll take that brace down, put it on the first level. So we take, take that brace down, take the platform down, put it on the first level, and we even, Pastor Phil drilled some holes in the, in the first layer so we could put a platform down there. So then we go again to start building the second platform. Put the, put the braces up, put the platform up, and then there's this big cage that goes on the top, and it's, it's 12 feet high. You know, and we carry up these big uh, cages to the top, and he puts the first one on. It was, wasn't real easy to put in, but we put it in there. Then we go and put up this, to put up the second one, and we realize the other brace doesn't fit either. There was like basically like four different sets of braces that we had. So then we had to take down that cage and the other cage and take down the brace, put it on the bottom, put the one from the bottom back on the top, and then we get that up, we put the cage in, it was really hard to put the cage on the top, and then we get to the bottom and we realize that the wheels on the bottom for the support braces on the bottom are not the same size. And we'd put them in the wrong spot. Now, it worked out and we were able to put it together in a kind of safe manner. But I can't imagine if I was here 
and somebody else was with me putting it together who didn't know what they were doing. And I'd be, just be scratching my head thinking, well, so what am I doing wrong? I mean, it's kind of uneven. Is it supposed to be uneven like this? I'd have no idea what I was doing. It's helpful to have somebody who's kind of gone before you who knows what they're doing when you don't know what you're doing. We've been walking through the book of Mark, like I said, for quite some time now, uh, this year and last year, and we've learned a lot about Jesus. But one of the things that we learned about Jesus that kind of sticks out is that Jesus is one who kind of goes before us. He's a leader. He's a trailblazer. He calls His disciples not to come along with Him. Not, he doesn't say, come learn with Me. He says, follow Me. He says, I'll go ahead. I'll set the pace. I'll be the trailblazer. I'll be the leader. You just need to follow behind Me. And we've seen a number of different instances in the book of Mark where Jesus kind of set the standard, so to speak. We saw Him blaze a trail when He ate with sinners and tax collectors. We saw Him blazing a trail when He taught that it's not uh, greatness and power, or power that equals greatness, but it's humility and becoming like a little child. We seen him blaze a path by teaching that people could be both good followers of Jesus and also followers of the state. He blazed the trail by choosing to follow God's will even if it would cost him. He blazed the trail by teaching that marriage should, is an eternal covenant that shouldn't be dissolved. He blazed the trail by teaching that it's not the wealthy who inherit the kingdom of heaven, but those who are poor in spirit. He blazed the trail by choosing to forgive those who persecuted him. And here we are at the end of the book of Mark. And He's going to blaze the trail one more time. And He's going to do that by rising from the dead. It says in the text just before chapter 16 that a man named Joseph of Arimathea takes the body of Jesus and puts it in a tomb. And it says in the text that Pilate checked with the centurion to make sure that Jesus was actually dead. And it says in the text that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Salome they saw the place where Jesus was laying. They saw it on Friday. And now it's Sunday morning, and they're going to the tomb to anoint His body. And in that day and age, they often didn't embalm the bodies. They would just kind of set them on a stone uh, plate or a stone uh, platform, and they would just kind of wait for the body to disintegrate, and then they would put the bones in an ossuary. And so they're coming to just kind of put some spices on the body so that it doesn't stink so bad. And what's interesting about this account is that if someone were going to make up the New Testament, they would have never included these details. If someone was just going to make up the resurrection, they would have never done it like this. Because in that day and age, women were not considered to be trustworthy witnesses. They couldn't even sometimes testify in court. They were considered to be prone to hysteria and to emotion. So if someone was going to make up the New Testament, they would never say that women were the first people to to experience the empty tomb and the risen Lord. And so that's an evidence of the veracity of the New Testament. But it's also interesting to note that they go to the tomb and along the way they think to themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? Now you think that they would think about that beforehand. I mean, it's a, it's a big stone. And the first thing that came to my mind was, so why didn't they ask the disciples? And then you think about it a little bit further, they, they probably did. They probably did ask the disciples, but the disciples were probably unwilling to actually go with them. It says in John chapter 20, verse 19, that this same day, later in the same day, even after they've experienced the empty tomb, they are locked up in their home and they're afraid to go out. They're terrified. 
So these pr- women probably asked the disciples to go to the tomb and roll away the, t- roll away the stone, but they would have nothing to do with it. They don't want to become like Jesus. They don't want to experience the same fate that He does. So the women go by themselves to the tomb to anoint the body. But as they get to the tomb, they realize that someone has been there first, that the stone has been rolled away. And they're, again, completely terrified. And the angel tells them, He's not here, He's risen. And he says, come see the place. You, you've seen it a few days ago. You've seen it on Friday. You've seen where he was laying. He's not there anymore. He's gone. And then look at what the angel says. And I think this is one of the most remarkable things about this passage. The angel says to them, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Go tell his disciples and tell Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Now this would have been a remarkable word of grace and love to the disciples. Because the disciples, had you remember, they had just deserted Him. They had just gone into hiding when Jesus was in His most difficult moments. They checked out. Remember Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Three times he said, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know who you're talking about when people questioned Him. And yet Jesus says to the, or through the angel to the women, go, I'm, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I'm going before you to meet you there. The first time, the first thing that Jesus did in His ministry, after He was baptized, after He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the first thing that He did was He called people into fellowship with Himself. He called His disciples. He called them to follow Him. Now, the first thing that He does after He's resurrected, after He has this new life, the first thing He does is He calls His disciples. He says, go, meet Me in Galilee. I'm going before you. Now, you might be wondering to yourself why we haven't read the verses that come after this, verses 9-20. to And the reason is, is that you might see a little subscript in your, in your text that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, verses six, uh, chapter 16, 9-20. And most scholars, almost all scholars today, believe that the end of the work, 9-20, to wasn't actually written by Mark. Now, I used to think that um, you know, when you think about the Greek text in the, of, the old, of the New Testament, that there was just kind of one text that we have. But we don't have actually the autographs, the original writings, but we have over 5,000 manuscripts. And these manuscripts, some of them are very small, some of them include the whole New Testament. And what's remarkable about them is that 99% of the time, they re- agree remarkably. I mean, compared to any other ancient standards, it's an amazing the way that they agree, but sometimes they disagree, and this is one of those instances. So some of the earliest and best manuscripts we have don't include this. In addition, in these verses, there's 34 words that Mark doesn't uh, use anywhere else in the book of Mark except for in these verses 9 to 20. And in addition, the style of the writing from 9 to 20 is different. So chances are Mark didn't actually write verses 9 to 20. So if that's the case, and if it ended at verse 8, it's kind of an interesting and abrupt way to end the book of Mark. It would end like this. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Interesting way to end a book. Especially when 
in the book of Matthew, it records uh, Jesus appearing to people, giving the Great Commission, saying, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In the book of Luke, it ends with the appearance of Jesus to the disciples and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. In the book of John, it records uh, Jesus' kind of private, intimate moments with John and Peter at the end of, uh, at the, end of the work before he's ascended to heaven. And he finishes the book of John by saying this, Now there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Yet Mark concludes with only fear, astonishment, silence. Now some people say, well, there was probably more. Maybe Mark wasn't able to finish the book. Maybe he was martyred before he finished the book. Or maybe there was one last page of the manuscript that got damaged that nobody ever has. So that's a possibility we don't know for sure. But it's also possible that he actually did intend to end it this way. If he did intend to end it this way, I don't find it all that surprising. Of the Gospel writers, Mark is the most succinct. And Mark he chooses not to include a lot of details that the other gospel writers choose to include. And if he's doing that, what he may be doing is to kind of create a dramatic tension, so to speak, about the resurrection. Mark states at the beginning of his book, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he ends the book not by saying, okay, so Jesus rose from the dead, he said this or he said that, or this person did this, this thing, this person did that. He ends with an empty tomb. With hysteria. With all they find is that there's an empty tomb. The grave is, en- is empty and the enemy has been defeated and in part the revolution has begun. In this passage we see that a revolution has begun. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we are free. Jesus is risen from the grave and the revolution has begun. He's gone before us in victory and that victory changes everything. And so Mark says at the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Gospel of God, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is just the beginning. And we see at the end that there's an empty tomb and people are starting to freak out because a revolution has started. Because Jesus has gone before us. And as believers in Jesus, we have that promise that Jesus has gone before us. That promise that He's defeated sin and death once and for all in the cross and resurrection. And so the final lesson that we learn from this passage is that wherever God leads us, Jesus goes before. Wherever God leads you, Jesus goes before you. Wherever God leads you, Jesus goes before you. And this is something that we see throughout Scripture. It's not just here in the book of Mark, but we see it throughout Scripture. We see that God or Moses told the Israelites when they were afraid to enter into the promised land because the people in the land were strong and mighty, he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. After King David is anointed. In, uh, anointed king in Second Samuel, the Philistines come to attack him, and he goes and he hides in a bunker or a stronghold, and then he inquires of the Lord what he should do, whether he should attack the Philistines. And look at what 
happens in 2 Samuel. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Bath Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Jazir. Jesus tells his disciples these things shortly before he's about to leave this earth. He tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, I were not, if it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to be to myself, that where I am you may be also. He also told them before he was about to be crucified, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. The promise that's fulfilled in Mark chapter 16. And you know what's true of all of these instances? In each and every one of these instances, the people were afraid or in some way backed into a corner. For the Israelites, they were afraid of the people who inhabited the land, the Canaanites. For David, he's afraid of the Philistines and their might and the fact that they're going to come and get him for the, because he killed Goliath. When Jesus makes the promises to the disciples, they're probably terrified because Jesus has just told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. And yet he gives them these words of grace. And he tells them, I'll go before you. You won't see me, but I'm going before you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And after I rise from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. And you need to meet me there. And then revolution is going to begin. Wherever God leads you, Jesus goes before you. I've had this, uh, this truth instilled in my heart a number of times in my life. I've seen God's hand work in this way so many times. A couple of examples. I prayed, and many, some of you have heard this story, but I prayed that God would provide me a spouse for about 11 years. And the problem with that was I never talked to girls at all. And if I did, it was like an awkward, like, uh, hi. Uh, my brother at my wedding said that, oh, the crickets are acting up. Uh, my brother at my wedding said that I married every girl I ever talked to. So I didn't have very high hopes. I didn't know if I would ever get married. And uh, also I felt called to plan a church here in North Tonawanda. And part of, uh, part of that was really exciting to me. Looked forward to it, excited and had faith in what God was going to do. But then there was another part of me that was completely terrified by it. And uh, one of the things that was terrifying to me was I'm really shy. And you might not know that because I get up and speak every week in front of people. But if you know me outside of church, I'm probably one of the shyest persons, people that you'll ever meet. Something's, something's hiding in there, like an animal or something. 
So I'm one of the shyest people you ever meet. And one of the things I worried about was I worried, like, maybe I'll just run out of things to say. You know, I, I only have so many sermons, and then I'll just run out of things to say. Who would have known that five years later we spent 38 messages in the book of Mark? But I remember praying a couple of months before the church was about to open, and I wrote in my journal, I wrote this. I said, God, I'm in over my head with this church planning deal. God, I need you so badly. God, I thank you for being with me every step of the way. God, please help me to trust you more. God, I pray for the summer outreaches. God, I pray that people would come to know you. God, please help the church to come together in North Tonawanda to accomplish your will, God. And please help me to find a wife or prospect before the church launches. About two and a half weeks later, I met my wife. The church launched on time, and here we are five years later, five years last week uh, later, going strong. Wherever God leads you, Jesus goes before you. If God's called you to something, He'll go before you. He'll prepare the way. But the thing is, sometimes we don't like how that works. We want Jesus to follow us. So we want to kind of set the path. We want certain things to happen in our life, and then we want Jesus to follow along with us. So we're like, well, I want a spouse now. I want a new job now. I want my finances to improve now. I want this person to change now. And we try to set our own path, and we're like, Jesus, will you follow me on this path? It's like, no. I'm over here. I'm going this way, and I want you to follow me. It's a road that's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. It's not the road that we would choose. But it's the road that's marked before us. It's the road that Jesus has set out. That He's gone ahead of us. And He promises that He'll go before us and be with us. So the Scriptures tell us, and Mark confirms to us, that when, as believers, if we're walking through the valley, the most difficult circumstances, and we don't see a way out, Jesus is going before us. When we're on the mountaintop and we feel like everything is sunshine and nothing could get better, Jesus goes before us. When we're facing an illness and we wonder if this illness is going to overtake us and it's unrelenting, we have the promise that Jesus goes before us. When you don't have enough money and you're wondering where the next rent check is, uh, when, where the next rent check is going to come from, we have the promise that Jesus goes before us. When you feel like you're all alone and you wonder if anybody cares about you, we have the promise that Jesus goes before us. When you're feeling the weight of your sin and you wonder if you could ever change, we have the promise of Jesus that He has gone before us already and paid for our sins. When we face death and we wonder what the next life or the future holds, we have the promise that no matter what it holds, Jesus goes before us. When we feel like we're inadequate and we feel like we don't measure up, we have the promise that Jesus goes before us. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus goes before us. The revolution has begun and Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You didn't stay in the grave, but that You defeated sin and death once and for all in the cross, and that You rose again in victory over the grave. And now we have the promise that You go before us. 
That even though we've failed You, even though we've all fallen short of Your glory, You invite us to come along on Your journey. The path that You've set out. The path of reaching people with the Gospel. Of sharing Your love with those who don't know You. The path that ultimately ends in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would be people who follow after You with all of our hearts. That we wouldn't go our own way to set our own path. That we would stay close to You. Knowing that the path that You have for us is the path that You've set out. And that You've gone before us preparing the way for us to go. We thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You choose to use us and allow us to follow You even though we don't deserve it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.